Good morning and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian Church. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. We are located in beautiful Uptown Columbus on the corner of 11th and 1st. We would love for you to join us for worship or just stop by and say hello. At First Presbyterian Church, we welcome you with grace and gratitude for God's love. Our first reading for the day will come from Isaiah. We are in chapter 40, verses 28 through 31. Listen now for the word of the Lord. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even youths will faint and be weary, and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading this morning from the New Testament comes from the book of Romans, chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Let's listen to the word of the Lord. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thank you for this invitation to participate in the Global Missions Emphasis for 2018 here at First Presbyterian Church. It's a pleasure to be with you. This week, you've been looking at ways of sharing God's love through mission around the world in Guatemala and elsewhere. And I want to thank you for your involvement, for service and support of missions here in Columbus and beyond on five continents. I bring you greetings from the Outreach Director, Dr. Rob Weingartner. For nearly 40 years, the work of the Outreach Foundation has been focused on building relationships and connecting Christians here in the United States with church partners around the world. During this time, the Foundation has been blessed with committed and talented trustees like the late John Kennett from this church. Again, thank you. The title of my sermon is Sharing God's Love, Finding Hope. In this reading from Isaiah, we are comforted by the news that God is with us always. And if we place our hope in him, he will strengthen us. We need strength to get through each day, 
There are challenges everywhere. It's hard to escape the news of pain and suffering somewhere in the world at any time. Wars, natural disasters, disease, poverty, death, the list is long. We may also have challenges in our personal lives that leave us depressed or feeling hopeless. We can never escape suffering, but we can choose how to live with it. How do you overcome pain and adversity? Where do you find hope? The world's newest country also has one of the world's biggest challenges. South Sudan in Africa gained its independence from Sudan in July of 2011 after Africa's longest civil war, nearly half a century. And two and a half years later, in December of 2013, barely four years ago, a civil war again erupted between the two majority ethnic groups in the South, the Dinka and the Nuer. In June of last year, I visited with South Sudanese refugees from camps in Western Ethiopia. Nearly all the refugees there are Nuer, and most are Presbyterian. Coming from a long evangelism tradition of Presbyterian missionaries who came through Sudan and down the Nile River and evangelized that part of Africa before being chased into Ethiopia. When I was there, I had the opportunity to have a conversation with a man we'll call John, and I keep replaying the memory of that conversation. We were sitting under a tree as he related how he had fled his village in Upper Nile State with his wife, three children, and two other families. They received news that soldiers had reached a nearby village, and they feared that the men and boys would be killed or conscripted into rebel groups, and that the women and girls might be raped or taken as slaves. Their homes would then be looted and burned. So they left quickly with a few belongings wrapped in a sheet, two jugs of water, and some leftover food. They walked toward the east for three days. Along the way, they encountered others who were also fleeing from the conflict and the famine. John knew that they would receive help if they reached the official entry point on the border with Ethiopia. On the second day, his neighbor's child became sick and later died. They ran out of food and water. Tired and hungry, they finally reached the entry point to Ethiopia to be registered. They were relieved that the staff from the United Nations and other NGOs could provide some food and drinking water while they waited with hundreds of others to be registered. But they were alive and they were safe. They wondered about their neighbors whom they had left behind and what about their home? Would they ever be able to return? What would their future be? And what about their children? After many hours, they were registered and assigned to a new refugee camp. The camp, with a capacity of 80,000, was already bulging. It seemed very crowded, very different from the village that they had left 
where they knew everyone. I asked John about his first impressions of arriving at the camp. He said he felt like a child again, with no control over basic decisions about food, water, shelter, health care, or what to do. Would his children go to school? Would he have work to do? Were there members of the Dinka tribe also in that camp, and would they be safe? He said it was what he would expect prison to be like, but he was alive and he was with his family, truly blessed by God. Well, John was a teacher and a lay pastor, and by the following Sunday, he had found a Presbyterian church in the camp where they could worship and make new friends. He also learned that teachers were necessary for a nearby primary school where two of his children would also attend. While there were still many unanswered questions, John accepted his situation and was thankful to God that they were alive and safe. They had persevered, they had endured, and they also agreed to foster two children that had arrived at the camp unaccompanied. He reported that the children still had occasional nightmares and admitted that both he and his wife sometimes were depressed and anxious about the future. Understandable. John and many others told us that there could be no peace in the camps or in their homeland in South Sudan until the trauma wounds were healed and their painful memories surrendered at the foot of the cross. And he added that they could not and should not return home to South Sudan until there was forgiveness and reconciliation. Across the world, some 66 million people are forcibly displaced, either within their countries or as refugees, and the majority are children. One of the priorities of my work in Africa is trauma healing among South Sudanese refugee children in the camps in Western Ethiopia. Many of them arrive injured or malnourished, but all of them have been psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually traumatized. Most have witnessed or experienced horrific violence in their homeland. Many have been separated from family and community, and they've endured days of dangerous foot travel. And now, they're in detention in a foreign land, surrounded by people they don't know. They're desperate, they're afraid, they're angry, and they're suffering. They all have invisible wounds. We call them heart wounds. Most of them suffer quietly, and as children, often inexpressibly, frozen with fear. Who can they trust? Where is their hope? I was invited back, and in November last year, I was blessed to be part of a team of Ethiopians, Egyptians, Kenyans, Sudanese, and Americans who mutually supported each other and our witness to these children. In addition to the trauma healing work with the children, we equipped and expanded early childhood education programs in each of the camps. We were able to distribute over 7,000 Bibles in the New Air language. 
We provided scholarship opportunities for some church leaders, and we trained facilitators from each of the camps to continue to work with trauma healing with the children. We also distributed electronic keyboards and amplifiers to five of the camps to share in worship. I was amazed by the worship and the growth of churches in the camps. Churches are the spiritual safety net in those camps. And now there are 32 parishes and more than 130 Presbyterian congregations in the six camps that house 400,000 people. They are joyful in hope, and they don't let their pain paralyze their praise. They are also faithful in prayer. God knows their and our heart desires. Yes, we're called to share God's love, to comfort those who are suffering, and to help heal their heart wounds and painful memories. But the question often comes, if God loves us, why does he allow us to suffer? This is one of the questions that we address in an early trauma healing session with the children. Pain and suffering exists because of sin, which entered the world with Adam and Eve. But God, through his unconditional love and grace, draws us close to himself during times that we are in pain. And sometimes he uses us to draw someone else to himself. He uses suffering to strengthen our faith and build hope when we place our trust in him. Well, scripture is full of examples of those who suffered. The story of Joseph is the one that we use throughout the children's trauma healing training. Joseph had to learn to trust God and forgive his brothers in order to be a part of God's plan to save millions of lives. Then there's also Job and Paul, and of course Jesus, who came into the world as a refugee child. Mary and Joseph were fleeing to Egypt to escape the threat of the king to kill the firstborn children in Israel, a journey that was treacherous and painful and took days. As we near the Easter season and consider the injustice and the suffering of Christ, we realize that the love of God is revealed through suffering, sacrificial, unconditional love. Jesus assures us, as he commissioned his disciples at the end of Matthew, that we are not alone. I am with you always, he says. And Jesus shows by his resurrection and redeeming love that evil and suffering can be conquered. Christ's suffering was not the end of his story. In 1 Peter chapter 1 we read, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. From the dead. And because we carry the presence of Jesus within us, we have the source of healing more powerful than any suffering. So, as Christians, we need not despair in the midst of suffering. 
And the prophet Jeremiah reassures us of this truth in the book of Lamentations in the Old Testament, where it says, God remains our hope in the midst of suffering. You might recall that God permitted King Nebuchadnezzar to destroy the city of Jerusalem and to capture many of its inhabitants. Yet Jeremiah understood that the sins of the people were the reason for that destruction. And he praised God for God's mercy and compassion for sparing lives. Compassion that is new each day. God is good. Yes, all the time. I'll pause here for an amen. Uh, He desires to lead us down the path into his eternal kingdom. And along that path, Scripture tells us that God refines us like silver and gold. Our God is a compassionate God. And in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, we read that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If God has chosen us to be his children through faith in Christ, he will look on our suffering with compassion. The Gospels provide many lessons on care and compassion. And as Henry Nouwen writes, compassion asks us to go where it hurts, to enter places of pain, to share in brokenness, in fear, confusion, and anguish. It is through our trust in God and compassionate prayer that we're drawn closer to God and led into acts of service sharing God's love. So we must raise before God in prayer the suffering and the plight of our sisters and brothers in South Sudan, in places like Syria, Myanmar, Columbus, Georgia, and many other places around the world. We find hope through persistent prayer and our relationship with God and through his word. It's the encouragement of the scriptures It's in the encouragement of the scriptures that we have hope. In your bulletins last Sunday was a poem by Jan Richardson titled, Blessings of Hope. I encourage you to try and dig up your bulletin from last Sunday and reread that poem. And also go online and read about the old Chinese tale behind the cure for sorrow. And I would like to close with a favorite hymn of mine from the Red Hymn Book that I'm pleased to see you have in your pews. It's number 368. Uh, I'm not going to sing it, don't worry. I'll, I'll just read it. It was written in 1834, which is about the time I think this church was founded. And it's familiar to most of us. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh may I then in him be found, 
dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. And the familiar refrain, on Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. So friends, let's stand on the rock. Let's share God's love. Let's be hopeful and be a blessing to others. Amen.